to the Hiking My Feelings virtual campfire. This is campfire number 44. Wow, that's exciting. <laughs> I didn't realize that we had that many. That's really fun. Um, today we have uh, some of my favorite humans on the planet are joining me around the virtual campfire, and we'll get to that in a second. As you know, we are running the Take a Hike Diabetes campaign, and I want to share some updates on that. So as of right before this broadcast, we have logged 7,665 miles for diabetes awareness. Thank you. Oh my goodness, we're cruising. Um, 111 participants and $9,395 raised. So if you haven't joined us yet, you can do that at hikingmyfeelings.org diabetes. And a couple of reminders about some cool stuff we've got going on this month. So Solomon is our shoe sponsor. They are amazing. And they have also agreed to match the next $5,000 that we raise in the app. And our friends at Kilter, anything that you donate between like now, I think between now and $10,000, um, so the next like $700, they're not going to take a fee from it. So if you go and you donate right now, today, in the Kilter app, or um, if you need a link to go donate and fundraise, I can send you one. <laughs> so you can donate to like the Sydney Williams team of Hiking My Feelings on the Kilter app. Um, that next $700 up to $10,000, they're not going to take their 10% fee. They're just going to give it all to us because they're really psyched about it. And the next $5,000 that we match or that we raise is matched by Solomon. So as a reminder, we're giving away a free pair of shoes every month. All you have to do is complete four activities and that's like averaging one per week. Um, we're not picky about what you consider a hike to be. In fact, it doesn't even have to be a hike. We're doing hiking, walking, running, rolling if you're in a wheelchair. We wanna make this as inclusive as possible. Rucking, which is like the stuff with your backpack. Um, I'm gonna ask Michelle to come on because Michelle uh, Farias, who's one of our community members, she rucks all the time. I have questions. So I'm gonna ask her if she can join us and talk a little bit about that. But um, as long as it's a mile or more, then you get a point and your miles count towards our goal of hiking 1 million miles for diabetes awareness. So hikingmyfeelings.org slash slash diabetes to join us. Also, um, if you follow us on Instagram or if you know how to read my t-shirt, then you already know that I'm obsessed with Muffin But Good Vibes. Our friend Craig. So we met Craig. Um, he sent us a DM on Facebook, which like, thank God I checked it because Facebook's gross and I don't really do that, check that box very often. Um, but he was asking before we started the original virtual campfire series, which was last year, um, we did 20 nights in a row, May 26th to June 14th in replacement of what we were doing um, instead of COVID because COVID ruined our plan to hike around Chicago. Um, we ended up doing the virtual campfire. That's how it started. So Craig sent us a message before we started the thing and he was like, hey, I make muffins, can I bring you some up to the reggae ranch? And so given that the virtual campfire is all about healing and hope and inspiration and good stories and also good music from some of our favorite musicians, it was kind of like this no brainer, perfect fit because Craig also makes muffins influenced by local San Diego and Southern California reggae bands. 
And so like, these are the artists that we're having on the show. He makes muffins inspired by their names. Like I'm getting whiffs of them. So he, anyway, so he made us a muffin. We've been talking about making a muffin for forever. Um, he just released K-Bong's muffin, which is jam by the fire. And it's like a coffee cake muffin with smoked um, raspberry jam on the inside. It's called jam by the fire, which is like the song that I really wanted K-Bong to sing when he was on the virtual campfire, which he did, which was like one of those mind blowing moments for me. So now K-Bong has a muffin. Hiking My Feelings has a muffin. So ours is a s'mores muffin. I'm going to show you. Are you ready? Because I am. And I'm going to eat it while Dada's singing around the virtual campfire later, but I'm going to show it to you now. So this is the muffin. On top, you might recognize this chocolate. If you don't, that's okay. It's from Ross Chocolates. This is sugar-free chocolate. So it's on top, it's shaved on top, and then it's mixed in throughout the muffin. So big chunks of sugar-free chocolate. On the bottom is a graham cracker crust, and then it's a graham cracker chocolate muffin on the inside and a marshmallow glaze on top. Like Craig is making his own graham crackers and he's making his own marshmallows to make this a 100% sugar-free muffin. So I'm dead. <laughs> it's delicious. I'm actually like trying to not drool because the van smells so good right now. Um, but we'll eat those later and then you can like watch my eyes roll in the back of my head because I'm sure you want to see that. And if you're listening to this as a podcast, you can just hear me moan a little bit when I eat it. So now that we've got all that out of the way, um, if you go to our Instagram right now on our stories, and we'll make this like a regular thing throughout the next week or so, um, we are having a muffin naming contest. Cause I was like, Craig, what are we naming the muffin? Craig was like, well, why don't you ask your people? And I was like, oh, <laughs> that would be awesome. So duh. So you guys get to help us name the muffin. If we pick your name, then you're going to win a signed copy of my book, Hiking My Feelings, Stepping Into the Healing Power of Nature and a shirt from Muffin But Good Vibes, which probably looks like this. It's a really cool logo. It's a muffin with palm trees and a sunset. You guys know how I feel about sunsets. So obviously these muffins are legendary. I'm not just saying that because he made one in honor of hiking my feelings, but that doesn't hurt. So <laughs> try a muffin. Um, unfortunately, if you don't live in San Diego, tough luck for you. Um, you can only get them in San Diego. So it's worth the flight. If you guys want to name a muffin, if we pick it and you don't live in town, like come out here, we'll make you some muffins and you can be the one among the first people to try them. So I'm not going to fly you out here. You would fly here on your own time. But if you want to eat the muffins, you got to get here. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. I'll eat the muffin later for all of you to watch and enjoy. In the meantime, uh, my first guest tonight is Cassie Chihutsky. I have butchered her name since the day I met her. Fortunately, I got a phonetic spelling lesson earlier. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Cassie while uh, I call her down Price is Right style because Cassie is awesome. So Cassie, a little bit about her. An adventure in progress, as we all are. Cassie Chahutsky prides herself on her ability to create space for others to feel safe, supported, and secure. As a freelance writer and meditation teacher living in Nashville, she's able to put life's experiences, both good and bad, into words that allow people to feel understood and gives others the opportunities to look at their own stories with curiosity instead of judgment. A former blogger for Chicago Now, the online subsidiary of the Chicago Tribune, Cassie first went viral for a post about tampons. <laughs> Little did she know that her blog about being a self-proclaimed hot mess would quickly become a go-to source for people who didn't know how to put their own experiences into words. Her current blog, So Long As It Is Wild, is a space for fellow adventurers in progress to show up exactly as they are. There's no such thing as good vibes only in her world. She wants people to live life as fully as possible, no matter what their history may be. Cassie lives by the words, I see you, I hear you, I get it, me too. And that comes across in her writing. An advocate for making therapy accessible to all, Cassie is passionate about changing the narrative around mental health. 
When not working or volunteering, she can be found most often with a book in hand, logging miles, hiking mountains, and contemplating the musings of herself and others. She also quotes her therapist way too often, but she'll save that for the blog. So Cassie, come on down. Price is right. I'm going to dance and I hope you do too. Hey, yeah. <laughs> or we can laugh. It's fine. <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy to be here with you, pal. Yeah. So I'm going to give a backstory and then you can color it in with the parts that I missed. So um, I don't know how you found us. So you can fill that part in. Well, I think I do, but I always butcher it. Um, but uh, Cassie like swooped into my DMs when we were getting ready to start Blaze Your Own Trail to Self Love last year. And she's like, hey, um, I really want to sign up. And also COVID pandemic, all my extra dollars are going to the Black Lives Matter movement. And I was like, first of all, I love you. Second of all, thank you for the transparency. And third of all, like we need to figure this out. So I dropped the ball. I didn't respond for a while. And then as we were getting ready to launch stuff, I was like, oh, hey, by the way, how are you? Who are you? Do you want to be part of the program? And she's like, yes. And so we figured it out. She got in the group and then my whole life started to change slowly before my eyes. And I was like, oh my God, universe, thank you for this lovely gift. If you listen to her bio and then you know Sydney Williams, you're like, wow, they are basically peas in a pod. They care about a lot of the same things. And then she went through the program. So she went through Billy's Show and Trails of Self Love last year. And then she joined the Summit Circle, which is an awesome program that we run now. And then this year, she um, joined me as a facilitator for Billy's Show and Trails of Self Love. So Cassie is like, everything I didn't know I needed and the sister I never had. Boom. Oh, hell, geez. <laughs> I'm in hot with the big compliments. My God. <laughs> so what else did I miss? Um, yeah, I found you guys totally randomly. I was looking up a John Muir book, I believe, cause he's tattooed on my arm and I was going through like a breakup that wasn't a breakup that I knew was more meaningful just in the terms of my growth than anything else. And I was working through that on the trail without even knowing you guys really existed at that point. And I randomly found your book and I hadn't ordered it, but I followed you guys on Instagram and then everything else just kind of happened, happened. Like yeah. in a very weird rabbit hole moment. And I think I should, I mean, I did blaze your own trail, but like, I can't even say I showed up for that in the same way that like, we were just supposed to find each other. Mm -hmm. even more so than like, like I loved that program, but I'm like, I was already doing the work. So it was such a good additional tool. And then you and I just sort of were like, happened. well, this is what's supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, there are a handful of people that are in my life where I'm like, I've known you for lifetimes and you're one of those people, pal. I'm really excited about it. I mean, our pattern app tells us that. <laughs> yes. So if you aren't on the pattern app, get on it and then find your friends and see if, uh, they're the same as you. So um, this month is Women's History Month. We're talking about collaboration versus competition. And last week when I was chatting with our guest, um, Rubina, she's a therapist, a coach for uh, Black, Indigenous, and women of color. And she is just like a holistic healer and totally awesome. We were talking about all kinds of things like how we, what what competition feels like in our bodies, how to soothe it, how to cope with it. And then we talked to Ray Zaragoza, who's like this incredible folk singer who lives in the, a lot of different intersections. She's indigenous, Japanese American, and um, I'm in Jap, uh, another one. Dang it. I can't think of it, but she's got like three different racial identities. Like they all intersect with her music. And they, she was talking about rewriting the folk songs of America, since most folk singers identify as cisgender, straight and white. Like it's very 
even keel on that and so she's kind of like reinventing what folk singers um are and what they sing about and her lyrics are powerful ballads of feminist amazingness and so i'm curious in your life and your experience um what what comes up for you just like with the words collaboration versus competition um i mean in the most kind of in the broadest spectrum of it like when i look back at my life experience, I think it's been more about what I always showed up in a collaborative way, but it was because I didn't think I was worthy of being in competition with anyone more than it was me wanting to collaborate with someone. And so like, I was the ugly duckling in school. I did not kind of figure that whole part of life out till my twenties. And so I was the girl who would hold your purse or I was with the cool group of girls, but like I was going to tell another cool girl, like, well, she's going to fight you. Like I was never like the cool girl. I was the one who kept the cool girls out of trouble. And it was because my body didn't fit in with theirs, but I wanted to, and I've said it before to you. And it's something I still, still struggle with. It's I, I had this mindset of it's better to be the ugliest in a group of pretty girls than to be the prettiest in the group of ugly girls. And that was something that I carried with me. And so this kind of, it wasn't, I was competing, but it was, it wasn't like a known competition. It was just, I'm not worthy of competing with them. So I'll do whatever I have to, to feel like maybe I'm good enough. Hi, (laughs) (laughs) notes for my therapist next week. Am I, (laughs) am I actually a collaborator or (laughs) I know that's that one, pal. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. We don't have time. That's fun. Um, no, but I, that resonates so deeply and I had never thought about it in that way, but like, I was a cheerleader for the same reasons, like position yourself in proximity to like power and influence and popularity, but also like feeling deeply inadequate in those spaces as well. And I think it also, I mean, I can also say that all of my not all, but most of my healing has been done through women though, which is it's different sort of collaboration that I didn't know I needed where it's been safe female friendships where you can say that sort of shit and having a safe female therapist who's validated me that has allowed me to see what true collaboration is because like, let's be real. There is no, there's the world doesn't exist without women. It's just that simple. Like we carry it and we've carried it because we've had no choice and we've carried it on our backs from the patriarchy. And just the fact that we birth humans and we do all of these amazing things where it makes sense that healing would have to come from other women as well, which is, I don't think there can be a greater form of collaboration. Ooh, I really, damn. I, (laughs) I've never thought of healing as collaboration, but that's exactly what it is because there's trust and vulnerability and openness and authenticity that has to occur and has to exist in order for healing to be facilitated. Woo. Yeah. When I see, I have a friend who's going through some serious, a couple of girlfriends who are going through through some serious stuff, whether it was the death of a spouse or a divorce or this or that. And when I see the way they work with their children, it heals my mother wound because I can see that that exists and that we can that's what that's supposed to be. And you're allowed to see it in that way. So it's also healing wounds that maybe don't even directly have to do with you or them, but seeing that it is possible. And that as much as like the things we want to heal, weren't our fault, it is our responsibility. And by watching other women do their own healing work or heal their 
generational stuff with their kids and things like that, it gives us the opportunity and the space to do our own work. Yeah. And I think with that framing around it, one, I love that too. I'm going to totally rework how we talk about Blazer on Trail to Self-Love in that capacity, because like, even just between you and me and the relationship we have and how we are like textaholics with the healing journeys that we're on respectively and holding that space for each other, the way that we facilitate is collaborative and offers healing and models what that can look like. 100. Well, and I think even today, like I, you know, Sydney and I were texting about a couple of things that I'm going through right now today. And even the difference in talking to like you versus other of my best friends who may at some point watch this and are just as valued, but like, it was, it wasn't just venting and kind of being told like, Oh my God, me too. It was like, okay, well, wait a second. I know this, this, and this, and like the difference in like my nervous system, when I talk to like someone like you versus some of my other friends who maybe aren't doing the same work is a game changer just for what it feels like afterwards, because you feel, you can feel your nervous system being soothed because it's somebody who actually understands and is doing the same thing. Man, that, yeah. Wow. That is, I am just like blown away by the idea of framing collaboration in a, or healing as a collaborative experience, because it totally is. And that, that just redefined a whole lot of stuff for me that um, probably derailed any other questions I was going to ask, but um, <laughs> that's totally how done. that goes. Yeah. Nailed it. Okay. Bye. So Tom, Tom place Avenue, come on down. We just, the world is healed. Yeah. It's, it's over. Um, it. No, but so I think in that space, because, and I think it's really important. And that's some of the, one of the things that I've learned just being in community and friendship with you is like, it's okay to not like people. It's okay to not, be buttoned up all the time like I think I I live in a way where I mean like for crying out loud like I toured the country telling my story about how I was sexually assaulted like clearly I'm not all the way buttoned up but even in my presentation of my raw stories that I hope heal the world I still have a an expectation of myself of what that looks like and how it's delivered and I think one of the things that I appreciate most about you both as a facilitator and a friend is your ability to be like, I hear you. And also I'm not going to let you talk to yourself like that. Can you tell me a little bit about like, have you always been like, Hey, don't talk to my friend like that. I'm not okay with that. Has that always just been like a skill you carry? And if so, where the hell did that come from? Because it is like, it is like healing balm on a like fresh open wound to have somebody hear you and hold that space in that way. Um, I think I've always been, because I am a fixer and codependent by nature and it's something I overcome. I have always been that friend who's like, let me build you up. Let me build you up because I needed to be built up, but I didn't have the vulnerability or the language to actually say that. So I was just showing love in the ways that I was aching for love, which also came out really wrong most of the time. But that's definitely something that I think, and I've talked about it with you before that I learned from my therapist through self-compassion where when I first started and she was like, if you can't access a compassionate voice for yourself, which is something that has been such big work for me, but then like, please hear my voice. And somehow like in the transition of that, it's switched to like, if I hear somebody doing that, like, if you want to feel that way, that's on you. But like, if we were in public and someone else talked to you that way, I'd jack them in the face. 
hard stop. Like I don't, you don't like, I would let myself get talked to you that way before I'm ever going to let one of my friends get talked to you that way. So I can't allow you to do it to yourself if I wouldn't let it be done to you. Everybody needs a Cassie. (laughs) (laughs) Only if they have bail money. (laughs) (laughs) Because she'll punch them in the face and get in trouble. But like, honestly, it's a really good, like it's, I've, I've had, I mean, and I think even just being able to say that that's the first, this is the first friendship where I've had that level of just direct communication. Cause like, I know of all the, like of the, the women in my life that are my like inner circle wolf pack, like Kat, Brandy, Michelle, Christine, Cassie, like of those five people that are like really, really in here. I know all of them would say the same thing. I feel that, but I've never heard somebody say to me, do not talk, like stop talking about my friend that way. And I was just like, oh, like to hear it, like feeling it obviously has carried me through so many different hard moments Mm -hmm. in my life, but to hear somebody like stop it and Mm -hmm. say that is, is next level support and love. So thank you for one. Yeah. Well, and I think it's kind of what you were saying though, too, where it's like, it's not the, and you're so good about being like, it's never one or the other and it's never black or white. Like it's that. And where, you know, you know, my, one of my other best friends, Ashley, where like, we talk to each other that way all the time. And then in the same breath, when we have like an inside joke, where like, we call ourselves repeatedly the dumbest bitches in Nashville. And like, we don't, you know what I mean? Or my best friend, Eris in Chicago, like we refer to ourselves as hashtag idiots. And like, it's also knowing where you can be that way and what weight that actually carries. And there's safe relationships to have both of those things. And then there's the one dimensional relationships where you're just the dumbest bitch bitch in Nashville with that person, but you don't get the other part of that sisterhood, which is the like, well, wait a second. We know that what that means. And also you don't get to talk to yourself in a way where that carries real weight. Like you have to know where that line is, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think so. My next question is like, what in, in regards to making therapy accessible, because like I have, so my history up until three or four, three weeks ago was I, when I had access to therapy, terrified of it. You couldn't pay me to go do it. Like you literally could not pay me to go to therapy. I was like, no, I already know I'm broken. I don't need somebody to confirm that and tell me how to fix it. Cause like I already know I'm broken. And then when I was like ready for it and would have done it, I couldn't afford it. But in talking to you and how you talk about your therapist and the things that you've shared, like, well, and this is one of the reasons why I love your bio, because you're like, I quote my therapist all the time. I'm like, quoting your therapist made me feel like really ready and okay to like make the financial commitment to go to therapy. Because at this point, it's like, we have limited resources. What do I want to spend it on? And therapy is 100% one of the things that I want to spend it on. So like, in your mission to make therapy more accessible, like, what was your own journey going into therapy and other tools in the toolbox. Cause there's always lots of tools. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, when did you start? How did you get into it? And what was the journey like to get to the point where you were like, okay, I'm ready for this and I can show up. Yeah. I think, um, you know, my trauma timeline is since birth and it is deep and leveled and complex. And, um, I had, you know, in high school kind of been told like, oh, you know, think things that like also growing up in the eighties and nineties, I do make a lot of space for all of our parents. And the fact that like, there was no talking about emotional IQ with your children. It wasn't a thing. This is new. This is something that everybody's trying to figure out. And so 
everybody, you know, was getting in the nineties was getting put on Ritalin or this or that. And I remember going, my mom and I actually just talked about this today. I remember going to the dermatologist in like seventh or eighth grade. And they were like, well, she, she picks at her face a little bit because she's anxious. So we can either give her anxiety medication or medication that will help her skin. And like a typical mom of a 14 year old, she was like, give her the medicine to help her skin. Of course. There was no like, oh, wait, what do you mean? She's anxious. Even though like straight up my ears are uneven because I pulled them that way from an anxious tendency as a child. This just wasn't something anybody knew was a thing. And then I had one depressive episode in college that nobody knew about except for me and my parents, you know, I never told my parents about, of course. And, you know, I couldn't even take my trash to like the trash chute. It just piled up in my closet because I didn't know I didn't know what was happening to me. And then that never really happened again. And I think, you know, I moved home after college and was still in a dysfunctional pattern with my family, but that was all I knew. So I didn't think like I have depression and anxiety. I just thought my family's fucked up. Um, and you know, then in my thirties, I was living here in Nashville and nannying for a couple of families who were very emotionally aware with their children. And that was unnerving to me because I kind of like I was doing the things they wanted because they wanted me to, but I was like, what are they like? We get it. Your two-year-old's frustrated, but like, let's move forward. Um, and so I learned, was learning so much from them. And I got into a relationship that summer and I never felt as anxious as I had before. And that was when, and I didn't know what it was. And when it ended, I unraveled in a way where I was like, something about this is just not right. I don't know what this is but it's just, I know I should not feel this badly and this terrified and this undone from something that was not that long, like was not that long. And there was a lot of self-judgment, but it was also like something is, this is not an appropriate response to this. And this is not healthy. Um, and I had a friend who was a therapist and I'm like, do you know anybody who maybe is taking sliding scale or something? And she talked to one of her former um, colleagues who introduced me to Morgan, who thank God, um, you know, was able to get me in for half her rate. And that was almost three years ago. And it, it it's a long road. I just have begun to trust her. And now there is an attachment where I don't know how to like potentially leave her, which is terrifying on its own. But I've just probably in the past two months begun to really be like, oh, I get it. And it was a lot of failed stops where, she wanted to do EMDR. It wanted to do EMDR with me. And I couldn't, I couldn't access any of it. And I couldn't access the pain. And I think that's the hardest part about therapy is you go because you think you're broken. And then you push against it when you're there because you're repeatedly told there's nothing wrong with you. And that's really annoying when your whole life you've known there's something wrong with you. We're like learning, oh, I don't have depression and anxiety. Or yes, I do. Like, I know I have anxiety, but a lot of that, it's not that it's like in your blood. It's that there are generations upon generations of unhealed trauma that has been passed down that we then say, oh, we're wired this way. When the reality just is no, nobody has put a stop to it and said, no more, this isn't happening again. And so going to therapy, you have to, it's, it's a terrifying relationship because you, you want to believe that it's, you want to believe that it is completely, it's not reciprocal in any way, which is very uncomfortable. And also if you stop paying them, they stop helping you. So like you want to trust, but you also know there's like boundaries in line where 
that maybe isn't possible, but I can say like two and a half years in, I, you don't, it's like, it's a slow burn. You don't know that it's helping you until one day you're like, holy shit, that was like really healthy. I would be really impressed if someone else did that, but you did it, you know? And like, it just, it, it is without a doubt. I don't care how healthy you are. You should go to therapy. You should yeah. at least check in once a month with a, once every couple months with a therapist. And I will put it on my tombstone one day. Like here lies Cassie. She wants you to go to therapy. <laughs> That's it. Hard stop. That's it. That's the story. No. And I think I, I would agree with that. And I, I was thinking about this the other day because like the, the work that I'm doing with my therapist, I, one, I just, I feel so fancy saying that by the way, because everybody should have this level of support. And so for like hard plug, shameless plug, because I am a huge fan of this platform. I'm on better help. We have a partnership with them. We offer 10% off your first month. So like if anybody listening is like what Cassie just said, like I'm ready for it, betterhelp.com slash hiking my feelings. Like I, 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 this partnership has been in existence for like probably eight months now, but I had never promoted it because I couldn't afford it. And I, I want to make this resource available to our community because I myself am not a therapist and the work that we do is a tool in the toolbox, which brings up a lot of things that could be supplemented beautifully with a formal therapy relationship. So I wanted to have that level of support available to our community as affordable as it could be. And also I have never used, I had never used the platform. So when I was like, I, like I had an encounter that I was like, I don't like the way I showed up and there is like, I don't have anything else in my toolbox that can help me move through this. I want a therapist. So I like, I signed up, I had a therapist within two days. Like it's beautiful. And I, and I understand the bad therapists are a thing. I lucked out and got a great one, like right out the gate. And that is something that I'm also passionate about too, where people are very quick to be like, make sure you find a therapist that's right for you and this and that, which yes. And thank God, like I could not afford mine. I choose twice a month therapy. It should be every week for the level of trauma that I'm dealing with. I choose twice a month because, and I cannot afford it. I choose this over actual health insurance because it's more necessary right now. And no one should have to live that way. But I also like to make it clear if I had been told, keep searching till I find the therapist who's right for me. I would not have a therapist because I would find something wrong with every single one of them. And so sticking with somebody and the consistency of therapy, because it was the most affordable and it is still not affordable. Like I know I sit here as like a white woman and it looks like, oh, well, of course she can afford it. No, I can't. I have no income coming in right now. I'm a freelance writer and it's a pandemic. This is a huge sacrifice in my life that I make and it shouldn't have to be that way. So thank God for programs like BetterHelp and things like that. But there's also something to be said for like not having this upper class ability to like, I'm not going to a therapist for a Xanax prescription. I'm going because I felt like I had no other way out. And like my internal life was coming to an end. Like I was not suicidal, but I felt absolutely insane. And it was either seek help or like live the rest of my life in a pain that felt uncontrollable. And that meant finding a way to focus on pain that was controllable, which is what therapy is. It doesn't, you don't go to therapy and it gets better. It gets a hell of a lot worse in a <laughs> yes. great way. Yeah. In a great way. Yeah. And I, and I'm, I'm still a therapy newbie, so I'm figuring it out. But like, I, at first I was like, 
because she does patient-centered therapy, which I'm like, oh, that sounds awesome. Which the part about that you mentioned about it not being a reciprocal relationship, like my therapist went to a wedding two weekends ago. I was like, I get on the call. I'm like, hey, how was the wedding? She's like, it was lovely. How was your weekend? How are you? <laughs> like, and I'm like, oh, we're not friends. Right. Okay. You, I don't get to know anything about you. Okay, cool. Um, this is all about me, which is very awkward for me because as much as I like shine in my zones of genius and I appear to be confident on the show, I sound great on a podcast interview me. I sound like a freaking rock star, but like every other waking moment is like paralyzing self-doubt and imposter syndrome and inadequacy. So for me to be in a relationship where it's all about me and I'm the center of attention, which like I thrive in those environments, but also when that environment is created for me, I'm like, oh, what, what even is this? And there's also the difference between being the center of attention because you're being interviewed about great things about yourself and being the center of attention to know what your root pain is and the things that we're taught to button up. Like I, it's, it's, it, it is 100% acceptable for me to say I have anxiety. It is 100% fucked up in the terms of society for me to say I have depression because that means you're too much. That means there's something wrong with you. That means at some point you're going to act too crazy for me to handle you. Anxiety, that's like a catch-all throw around like, oh, I'm so anxious when I walk into the pizza place with my friends. Like that is like cutesy and meme worthy, but depression, depression is like, well, what if I cut like also high functioning depression, people don't get like, it's not for 90% of people that you're coming home and your spouse is going to be terrified. You pulled a knife on yourself. It's there is a low grade buzzing of something that is inherently wrong with me and I can't touch it. That's not a fun thing to be the center of attention about. No, (laughs) not at all. It's not the same thing as like being told like, wow, you started this great program that's helping thousands of lives. It's like, yeah, I did. I really did. Like, that's great. (laughs) But it's not great for your therapist to be like, so what did it feel like? You know, let's, let's stop there. Let's talk a little bit more about the first time you felt abandoned by your parents. You're like, I'm good. Yeah. Bye. (laughs) Yeah, That's not fun. Watching the clock. Yeah. And I think, so I would love, like, what are some of the things that before therapy you were like there's no way I could say this out loud or like because like I love your analysis of like anxiety is mean more the depression is like scary or too much which is like and I think because depression's like the next step after depression is obviously suicide so like people don't know what to do with that either so what are some of the other things that you've learned in therapy that were just like oh you mean that's okay like the stuff that we're conditioned especially as women to believe like is not all right Um, I think learning a lot and we've talked, like, we've talked about it where, um, it's my own acceptance of things like attachment styles, uh, which we were talking about where, you know, people are either securely attached and that's because they had great caregivers. They're anxiously attached, which means they are usually labeled too much or needy, um, avoidant, which, uh, you shut down and most, you know, relationships, especially romantic relationships, there's an anxious and an avoidant and the anxious attaches to the avoidant and the avoidant runs and you get to chase. And then there's disorganized, which tends to be more of your people who are like really high up on the trauma spectrum. Um, and so learning to accept, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is the acceptance is just stuff where like things that I would have hidden. Like I didn't want to talk about having depression. I don't want to talk about having an anxious attachment theory and, or just like feeling like my needs were okay. I was not 
raised to have needs. I was not allowed to, there wasn't space for them. Um, and so just like knowing that needing something isn't too much or like, and learning where it's safe to act the difference between acting out and advocating for yourself were like, I spent my twenties acting out. Like I was never angry about anything. And then one too many drinks. And I was that girl crying at the bar because you broke my heart and you hurt me and you're an asshole. And I didn't know, you know, I was just like, that's just how I am. Or I was drunk. And like now at 37, having done this work, I can advocate for myself within safe people. There's still things where I'm like, I'm not ready to work on that with this person, but I know who's safe for me to be like, Hey, this happened. And I wasn't okay with this. And I just feel like you need to know, because I have to advocate for myself. Um, And I think learning that and learning that it's, you know, I lead with my attachment theory where if I'm in a romantic relationship and it's more than a couple of weeks and it's going somewhere, you're going to know, like, this is how I handle situations. I I require patience and not because like, I'm going to be a brat to you, but because there are some things where like, I don't feel safe inside. And it takes sometimes some external reassurance to know that I am safe. Um, And I think just learning that acceptance of also being allowed to say this, this stuff shouldn't have happened and it isn't fair. And I'm very lucky that I have a therapist who, you know, we're taught you can't compare trauma and this and that. And we've talked about it before where it is true. You can't because everyone's experience is unique, but having someone who's like, no, you can't, but you get to in private, roll your eyes a little bit at some people, because some of the things that people consider trauma compared to what you have to emotionally carry every day just to feel like you fit into the world is not something that most people can handle. And so she's just given me a lot of space to step back and not have to justify my strength so hard and to realize what is serving its purpose and doing a really great job where like, I'm able to look at my anxiety and be like, this is exactly what my body and my brain are supposed to do right now. And I've got to be grateful for that in order to move past that. And I think having kind of that, just that language and understanding, you know, and her giving me the, the space to hear her in my head, which even when I didn't want to, that was just repetition from her. And then just knowing like, I'm 37, but everything inside of me is six and everything inside of everyone is six and healing. That is how you get through the rest of your life. And every trigger you get is that, and like, you may never fully be healed. And I think just having someone who gives you that much space and whose entire job is to protect you without like to fully rely on them isn't something that you can get outside of a therapy relationship because it's, it's not your husband's job. It's not your wife's job. It's not your parent's job. It's not your brother or sister's job. It's not your friend's job. No one besides your therapist is someone that you are supposed to be 100% validated by all the time. Yes. <laughs> Cause I was like, well, and I, and I'm thinking too, like the big one for me and I, and I'm still new at this. I, I I'm sure I'll have more aha moments, but like the big one for me recently was like, we go through life and we see millions of people, not so much these days because we're all stuck at home, but like you say you went to a festival, like a music festival, tens of thousands of people are there. I'm not going to go be friends with every single person in that audience. I'm not going to go. I don't care what all of the people in the audience think about me, but in my mind, I'm not allowed to say, I don't like that person. 
And that was one of the most liberating things of my life because in my world and something that like is a fallacy that I'm currently working through. It's like, if somebody comes into my life, whether I chose them or they chose me, I have on some level committed to a social contract and it is not ladylike, nor is it polite, nor is it appropriate, nor is it kind to say, I don't like you. Like all the people out in the audience that I will never talk to, never make eye contact, never be in their orbit. That doesn't matter. But like, if somebody is in my circle and I don't like them, I'm not allowed to say that. And apparently that's not true. No, I'm not going to go and be an asshole and be like, Hey, you suck. And I think you suck at life. And I really just don't like you but it's okay for me to have that recognition within myself and then go about my life. And I was just like, I'm sorry, what? I don't have to like everybody. And not only do I not have to like everybody, I can say that out loud to myself. And she's like, mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, like huge weight lifted because like, and it's that simple. And even just talking about it, I'm like, ew, even when you talk about it, like you sound so gross and so mean and you sound like a mean girl at the cafeteria. And it's like, no, we we like we have to be allowed to say these things out loud and find a safe space to do it. And therapy is definitely a great safe space to do it. But if you could if you can't afford therapy or if you don't have access to it or you're scared to go, if you can find a friend that will validate that for you and hold that space and not go run and tell everybody else that's my trauma. Like somebody's going to go run and tell that I don't like someone working through it, but it's just, it's such an interesting journey. And I think making it more accessible has to be a priority, especially that's one of the things that I've noticed the most coming and we're not out of COVID by any stretch, but coming through, I mean, like tomorrow is a year anniversary of when my entire tour got shut down and everything got canceled. So, um, as we approach a year since that happened, all I can think about is like my journey with mental health where like, I have a lot of tools in my toolbox and I got to the point where it's like, I can't do anything else. And this is probably one of the worst times in history to, to run out of tools because we don't have access to coping mechanisms that we're used to using. We don't have access to the different tools in our toolbox as it were like if you lose your job and then you lose your benefits then like you don't have health insurance you don't have therapy whatever um so I'm curious like what are some of the other tools in your toolbox in addition to therapy that have been really helpful for you yeah I think um you know it goes along the lines of the making it accessible where that's why the changing the narrative around it is so important because that's what's going to make it more accessible because right now it needs to be the people who have access to it, taking advantage of it. It's kind of like the COVID vaccine. Like if you're allowed to get it and you're not getting it, you're ridiculous as a human being, you know, and it's the same thing with therapy. Like if you have the means to do it, it takes people with money doing things to show that people without money can get it. Unfortunately, that's how our society works. Um, and before I did therapy, it was, you know, I was the queen of toxic positivity, but was actually always negative, but so was everyone around me. I kept myself in a circle that allowed that. Um, you know, I, when I was 30, I, and a lot of my adult trauma comes from bad dating relationships because parent issues, and you don't realize that you're not supposed to be treated like crap by men or women, whatever you choose. Um, And so I had to deal with a lot of that. And when I was 30, I went through another situationship where like when it ended, I was acting out and he was 
awful. And I can look back now with such empathy and be like, he was hurting in his own ways, but I didn't know that then I just thought there was something wrong with me. Why wasn't he choosing me? Why wasn't I good enough? And, you know, I screwed up and I was, I was drinking all the time and Lord knows in my twenties, there should have been a million times that I got pulled over for drinking and driving. And this one time I did, and I got a DUI and that was, I've never had a speeding ticket. I've never had detention. Like I don't learn from God in the universe in ways that whisper, he has to yell at me. It's, it's the only way I learned. Um, and that happened. And, you know, I got off pretty easy because I am a white woman and, you know, went to court and was referred to as DUI Barbie and it all happened. And I had to move back in with my parents at 30 and somehow, you know, this editor at the Chicago Tribune took pity on me. And I was like, I have this idea for a blog and it's called not the fastest girl in town. And it's about like, when you think you're going to have the white picket fence and everything's going to work out. And instead you're in a twin bed in your old childhood bedroom at your parents' house, because you had to go to jail for a night and not really like it was like small town sat in a garage jail. It wasn't real jail, but like, even that, you know, like even that, like, why do I have to preface like that? Mine wasn't as bad as other people's, but that writing, I look back on it and I cringe, but it helped me survive them because I was word vomiting to the world about things that I had never talked about. And I never talked about that. I never, I am just seven years later, really owning the DUI without embarrassment because girls like me didn't do that. I was perfect. I was a, I was a coach for girls on the run. I was on boards. I was on committees. I was all those things. But, um, I wrote about my adoption and about being abandoned and about my biological mother and about these dudes whose beds I was crawling into looking for relief while I was disgusted with myself at the same time. And there's still things that I didn't talk about then that I don't talk about now to anybody, but my therapist and my best friends. And that's okay. Cause I also have learned a huge tool. I've learned is that not everyone deserves your whole story. And I used to tell it cause I wore it as a badge of honor that like my trauma, I'm so much tougher than you. And I had been told like, wow, you're so lucky to have survived so much. So I started being like, I know I am, I am. And now I'm like, you don't need to know this about me. And so I think outside of that, like there are authors and people who have helped me where it's not so much that self-help books, you know, that can give us so much of that toxic positivity, but like authors, like, um, I'm a huge fan of Jedediah Jenkins, his life experiences have changed mine and Ruthie Lindsay and just all these people who look like me, you know, Jedediah is gay, but he's like white and he grew up middle-class and Ruthie is a, you know, cis white woman, but like people who helped expose me to other people who were less like me. And then finding you guys, like that happened to be at just the right time where I'm kind of an anomaly. This has been one of the best years of my life because I finally got a chance to just sit and be, and I never allowed that. And so I'm very lucky on how, in how COVID played out for me. Um, and that it's kind of been really, really fun, but finding you guys at the right time and just learning what works for me, where I don't process by sitting still, I have to run or hike or something to let that stuff come out because my brain finally relaxes when I'm in motion. If I can, if I'm sitting still, I can control my brain and my brain's very good at controlling itself. So it's been just trying things and some things not working. Cause like for a long time, I fixed it all by taking, being the girl who could take eight shots and laughed about what she did the night before and all these other things that were gross. 
and that so many of us use to cope and don't know they're unhealthy. So it's just been trying things and learning how to say no to the things that don't serve me, which is not an easy thing for anybody to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I just, after, after you talk, I'm just like, yes. <laughs> oh, I have, I had so many questions pop up throughout that, but I think like at the, at the end of it all, my, my biggest takeaway that like if I could describe Cassie in like three words, it'd be like permission, real and truth. Like I, those aren't really like sexy or anything, but like, but that's, that's kind of the essence. Like I, I feel like, and I see this in the, in the spaces that you hold for hiking my feelings. And, and I mean, we've spent some time together um, in Joshua tree and we will, you know, at the end of the month for Catalina, hopefully. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, I think that's one of the things that I, I admire most about you and am inspired by the most is just your, because of everything that you've experienced, your ability to relate and hold space without rushing in. And as much as you're a fixer, I've never seen you rush in to fix anybody in any of the spaces that you occupy here. So um, I'm just like continually inspired by everything you do and how you show up and the way you move through the world. And I think in the spirit of the virtual campfire and stories of healing and hope and inspiration in the outdoors, do you have any moments in nature where you were just like, oh, this is where healing happens for me? Like any just awesome experiences outdoors? Um, yeah, I mean, I had one actually, it was not awesome so much as it was kind of horrible, but horrible in a sense where it ended up awesome, where it was actually our last day in Joshua tree and Ashley and I were hiking and it was awful. It was hard and I hated it. And it was one of the ones where you're like, I can't do this as you're doing it. And you don't understand how you're doing it. And like, looking back, I was like, okay, you needed to calm down a little, but in the time it felt horrible. And it was where I kind of really had this, like, like, I realized that difference between me saying like, God, I'm so stupid or I'm so this, because I do have that voice of self-compassion now where when something ridiculous happens, I'm able to be like, oh my God, Cassie, that was so silly. Like that was, that was dumb, but like, it's not like you're such an effing moron or like, but I realized like, as I was on this hike, first I had this realization of like, it's always a you versus I. And if I'm hearing a, you're such a this, then odds are that's not mine. Someone gave me that because I'm not even talking to myself that way. I'm talking to myself as if I'm separate from myself. So that means somebody at some point said that to me. And I could call out a lot of people who have said a lot of things. And I unfortunately grew up in, you know, a very emotionally abusive home. Um, and that's something that's being worked through. And I'm lucky to be in reconciliation in a, in a small sense with my parents where they're taking some responsibility for those things, but that's taken years and awful work. But I also had this moment where I went into therapy and did my trauma timeline. And I talked about losing my virginity and my therapy with my therapist was like, Cassie, you were date raped. And I was like, no, I wasn't like this happened. And that happened. And like all these things where I was able to talk it away. And I was like, well, I was drunk and blah, blah, blah. And when I, you know, I didn't have the language for it. 
And then literally walking on this last day in Joshua tree with, um, I had told my friend Ashley to go ahead. Cause I was annoyed that she was ahead of me. Speaking of collaboration versus competition, she was clearly better than me. And I hated this. So I had to be alone. Um, and all of a sudden it was just like, boom, where I was like, you were raped. And it didn't mean anything more. It didn't mean anything less. It didn't mean this man was a bad man who was a rapist because he wasn't. This is a good person where this is why consent and drinking, and it's so many nuanced conversations. This is not someone I have an ill will against. I, he didn't, he to this day does not know that he took my virginity or this happened. He doesn't know it was what it was for me to him. And both of those things can be true. I can believe he is a good man and a bad thing happened and also be really angry that it had to happen to me and that it changed my trajectory for the next 15, 10, almost 15 years of my life. Um, And kind of just giving myself that permission two and a half years, a little over two years after my therapist said, Cassie, that happened to you. Having that out of nowhere realization of, holy shit, it did happen to me. um, It was horrible. And I still haven't quite worked through the grief of it, but it was also like just those two things of that's not my voice, but I still believe those voices a lot. Like it wasn't like, oh, that's not my voice. Yay. I'm free. Or, oh, I was date raped. Yay. I'm free. It was oh, shit. Now I have to work through all of this. Like, I don't want to work through any more stuff. I've had enough, but that's not what healing is. Healing is the second you heal something, there's something else to heal because it is layered. Um, and so that was, you know, as horrible as it was, I was really lucky to have that experience in a place where I could just be, and that I was with someone that like, I could look at and be like, I can't talk right now because I'm going through it. And that was just enough. So I feel as, as gross as it felt, it also felt so good. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, my, my healing in nature happened in a beautiful place, but there was nothing beautiful about the process at all. Like, it's not like, oh, wow. I just, I feel so amazing. This is so lovely. Like when I discovered hiking my feelings, I was like, all right, cool. I'm hiking my feelings instead of eating or drinking them pat on the back. Why were you eating and drinking your feelings to begin with? Then I got the answer. And then the next year of my life driving around in a van telling this story, like I'm still healing as I tell the story. Like that was part of my healing journey. Like I didn't arrive at the top of healed mountain and be like, you know what I'm going to do? book a speaking tour and tell everybody all my stories. Like that was my healing. Like I, I had this experience June, 2018. I hit the road in October, 2018. And then again in January, 2019, and then drove all the way around the country. Like I didn't heal from that. The second that I had the realization, it was the finding more language to articulate what had happened to me and how I healed. Like I went through the process of like hearing those statements over and over in my head and it wasn't until I met you that I understood the distinction between you and I. Like, mm-hmm. I I went through it. I had the healing moments. I vomited literally on the trail. I cried endlessly on the trail. But it wasn't until I met you that I could, like, distinguish the difference between you and I and why the I statements were easier at the time for me to work through. Because I had the framework of... I wouldn't talk to myself like that. I wouldn't speak to my best friend like that. So I statements, I can let those go. The you statements, I got to figure out where those come from because I need to understand who harmed me and then work through that as well. Cause that's how I process. So I think like 
in the spirit of healing outdoors, like it's not going to be like Instagram worthy. Like you might hit some sweet view while you're hiking, but like the actual work that we're doing when we're healing in this way, because hiking for me is a moving meditation. That's how I process. And I love your phrasing around, I, I like when I'm in motion that I can, like I move through Mm -hmm. discomfort in motion. And that's why, like, at the end of the day, that is why sharing our stories, even if it's only with ourselves, is so huge. Because the only reason, and I've said this time and time again, and I will say it every time I have an opportunity to do so, because it is this important. The only reason that I exist in this body, on this planet, right now, in this moment, is because other people shared their story and gave me the language to understand what happened to me. Because if I didn't have that, I would have thought I'm all alone. My spiral would have gotten much more violent to the point of not just passive ideation where I'm like, oh, if I got mauled by a bobcat, that'd be cool. But I might actually try to figure out like where the bobcat's at so I can get in the path of one. And like, that's, well, that's not good. And I think that's a huge thing where I think it's even in some ways harder to heal in nature because like I'm someone, I do not, my deepest core wound is not to ever look weak. I, you can, tell me someone, we talked my mom and I talked about this today. You can tell me someone died to my face and I'm like, okay. And I just go about my day. Like I do not let people see me weak. So when I'm struggling to breathe up a mountain and I'm doing my best not to look like I can't kick your ass at this mountain, knowing I can't, because I refuse to be weak. I, and then you put on top of it, the, the mental gymnastics, as you like to say that you're doing around something that for people, and I know you're very similar to me when you don't want to look weak and you're feeling completely weak physically. And then you put on like this new premonition of like, oh my God, which then unravels you mentally. There's nothing that sucks. Like, I don't care how good you're going to feel in six months. That's effing horrible. And it, you don't know what it feels like until you go through it. And I don't, that's why when, you know, making space for people, it's not, because I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's not even about the compassion. It's just like, shit, this is not like, I got nothing to say because it's not going to get better. Like you think you're getting better, but I know what's about to happen. That's why on, you know, week two, week three of blazer on trail and everybody's like, everything's just coming up roses. And then I'm like, <laughs> okay. And they, you know, I say, you know, I said a couple things where they, you know, girls in the group are like, no, that's not it. And I was like, okay. And then three weeks later, they're like sobbing or they're like, I can't do this. I can't sleep. Everything's awful. I was like, mm-hmm. and I don't want to be right, but I just know I am because it's what happens when you heal. It's not linear and it sucks. Yeah. Big time. So, um, if you had a magic wand and there were like something that's on your heart or mind, and you could just like wave your magic wand and people would have an understanding about something or, something would stop happening or something would start happening. What would that be for you? Like anything, anything. Um, we would stop shooting black and brown people for being black and brown. And then we would give everybody therapy. Um, but if I could only choose one thing, it would be that we would stop shooting black and brown people for being black and brown and we'd fix the effing problem. Yes. Which is us white people. Yes. I love that. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. That's been a common thread is like, we would wave our wand and racism would end. We'd wave our wand and people would stop getting shot. We'd wave our wand and people would have integrity and accountability. It's, it's all the same. Nobody has asked for a purse. (laughs) Like, and, and that's how I know that I'm in good company around this campfire. So, um, does anybody have any questions for Cassie? If you do go ahead and pop on your camera, 
you can ask away and then uh, we'll bring Dada on into this conversation and yeah. this is going to be a good time. <laughs> da, 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 there is a little bit of a delay, so I'm going to sip my water. So. <laughs> All right. Well, Dada, come on down while people get their camera on. Yay, Mary. There's Mary. Hi. I don't really Hi. have a question, but I just wanted to thank Cassie for being here and sharing her story. I always love learning from you and just um, you're so gifted with your your words and your language. And I always learn so much from you. So um, I just want to thank you for being brave and coming uh -huh. on here tonight. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. <laughs> Yay. I love Mary. Faves. So good. All right, cool. Well, then let's do this. Um, Dada is the, uh, well, hang on. Tom Boyce Avenue is here to rock our world. So I'm going to do a little quick intro. Um, singer, songwriter, Nilda Dada, Kantel Lampatak. I hope I didn't butcher that. AKA Tom Boyce Avenue is a full-blooded Filipino born and raised in a tropical country of the Philippines, island of Luzon. She now lives in San Diego, California and is working as a medical professional. Tom Boyce Avenue highly believes that music is medicine. In 2020, Tom Boyce Avenue released Take Me Back through featuring Cork Watson of Through the Roots, Kaya Hall, bassist of Sensi Trails and frontman of Strictly Skunk and Maria Connors. Take Me Back is a song Tom Boyce Avenue wrote about how she feels as half musician and half medical professional with the current situation around the COVID-19 pandemic and about Black Lives Matter. The song was produced by Ian Young of Imperial Sound Recording Studio, Roots Musician Records, and former keyboardist of the band Tribal Seeds. <sighs> also, this gal is sunshine personified. So I first became aware of Tom Boyce Avenue um, in my Instagram DMs. She was like, hey, I want to go backpacking with you in Yosemite when you leave like next week. And I was like, cool. Hi. Um, we haven't met yet. I don't know how I feel about spending time in the backcountry with a total stranger, but you seem awesome. Let's connect. And then I had the great pleasure of meeting her um, at the Joshua Tree retreats that we hosted last fall in partnership with the Joshua Tree National uh, National Park Association within Joshua Tree National Park. So she came as a participant for the first one and then she was singing and making everybody sunshiny on the second one and then the third one got canceled because of COVID boo. So welcome my love sunshine personified. How are you? I am super awesome right now. Good. How are you guys doing? <laughs> I'm amazing. So tell me a little bit about how you got started in music and um, your journey to where you are today from the Philippines to San Diego. Wow. <laughs> so well, then, uh, yeah, I am um, uh, with music. Oh, gosh, I don't know where to start. But like, yeah, moving moving here um, from the Philippines. Um, yeah, back in 2016, um, I was, uh, I, I moved here back in 2016 and, uh, you know, working, uh, in a cool relationship. <laughs> the reason why I'm here is because of my ex, which is, um, 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 a cool story to talk to, too. And, um, 
I jump onto the music, you know, ever since I play music, since I was a kid, it's a Filipino thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're Filipino, you are required to sing. <laughs> like, you know, your, your parents push you to like, whenever there's a family gathering or like contest, you know, e even though you don't want it, <laughs> you are required to sing. So, yeah, I mean, uh, just, just um, self-thought about all instruments that I play and um just i think um i just in in general i love music yeah half of my life is a uh, sports and music and uh yeah when i was when i moved here um i met a bunch of people that um helped me to go back to music because at some point like i'm not seeing it doing professional or like you know for a long long run but then I, I realize I think that's my one of my biggest passion that I can't just keep on running away. And with music, you know, with whatever um, happened to me with my past relationship and like in life in general, you know, I, I just discover that this is a cool talent that i can't just ignore or like you know set aside because with whatever happened to me ever since i moved here i literally wrote it in the music so uh yeah that's <laughs> that's about it and doing it over and over is like it's it's amazing it's amazing talent to share so that's that's kind of how you processed the the relationship that you were in when you moved here was through songs and playing music. Yeah, like um like the experience that I've had like 5 years ago. Very cool. So if I have was meeting you for the first time, how would you introduce yourself and like what what are you super passionate about? What make what makes you really excited? um yeah <laughs> so ah well if you're gonna if if we have a time machine and i'm gonna meet you for the very first time yeah i'm gonna introduce myself like this hey miss sydney <laughs> hi nice to meet hi. you who are you why are you well, being so I'm... nice to me <laughs> well i love to hike i love to do outdoor um activities i am a musician i am a marketing professional i'm a medical professional like all this kind of stuff and i'm not gonna stop <laughs> well then like i'm just gonna be being me like loud and always laughing and say things that i have experienced in the past which i love to always share and yeah like just laughing and smiling while you're gonna think maybe i'm in a i'm in the clouds having my but yeah people think i'm a pothead but i don't smoke <laughs> just for the record <laughs> <laughs> why because because you're so happy yeah like i oh like people like you know what with with this pandemic um with the mask i hate it because I, they can't see me smiling, but right. people people can tell in my eye. So I was like, some days are like, you know, 
<laughs> my my face is always like this. And then I was like, gosh, how am I gonna look like when we don't need to like wear a mask anymore? I was like, ha, like left and right, I'm like this. Hi. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, tell me about your your EP because you've released a couple songs as the singles. So tell us about the inspiration behind that. Um, what are the songs about? And then you can like set us up for the first song that you want to share. Oh yeah. Uh, so I am in a mission of finishing my EP called 1920, which is the COVID 19 and uh wrote the song all in 2020 so i called it to you know the 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 inspiration about the song is all about the covid and what's like the current situation and um um like work on it write and work on it to t last year and uh we're actually in the fourth song of the uh, of the uh ep and yeah i've already released three of them which is uh take me back well the the song take me back is all about me as half a musician and half as a nurse a uh, medical professional um you know like how i feel about it when we shut off like exactly the same month last year and like you know shows are canceled and you can't uh you can't play live music anywhere else unless and then became virtual which is you know at least a little bit of something and uh half of that is i'm in a medical field so i feel like why are you doing this to me universe <laughs> yeah like kind of a like I am, I can't play music and I'm, and I work in a medical field. So I'm like, God, this, I'm, I'm really dying. I'm really craving for live music. And then, you know, what's the call Lord? <laughs> like, okay, no music for now because you need to work on the community. You need to be there and help out with this pandemic, which is really cool too. And yeah, I, I came up with that song, uh, take me back and part of it uh kaya hall of sensu trail is uh featured on that song which he partly wrote a verse about you know pandemic and then you know with the black lives matter thing hit up as uh april and uh, may so it was it was a cool collaboration with kaya it's always been fun to collaborate with that guy and then <laughs> And oh uh, yeah, Corey Watson of True the Roots is featured on that song. He lays uh, the guitar and some um, music, uh, some uh, uh, guitar line, and um, 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 he pre pre produce the song and end up with Ian Young. And, Very cool. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Uh, do you want to start with a song now, and then we'll have some more conversation after you sing a song? sure sure cool yeah so tell us about <laughs> what right. you're gonna sing i'm gonna turn off my camera so you are the star of the show oh come on <laughs> not, i'm gonna uh i'm always the the tiny star i love those <laughs> all right then uh okay here uh. all right 
We're gonna pretend you were around a campfire. I'm gonna eat a muffin because <laughs> I got a, I got my s'mores muffin. Barry, come get your half. Oh, throw me some in here. There you go. There's Barry. Barry's getting his <laughs> half. That's his hand. <laughs> yeah. So s'mores muffin. I'm pretending we're around a fire. Okay, go ahead. All righty. It's so good.
back on your stage jamming This is just a virus at the end of everything The power of music push up this pandemic Take me back in time where all of us just playing music live The tip bar, the the tip jar is in down there. You can just put it here. <laughs> Let's do it. Yes. So, um, so what was your life like before the pandemic? Were you were a medical professional? Were you like on tour? Were you doing lots of shows? Like, what was life like before everything got shut down? Well, yeah, it was a uh, uh, the whole 2019 was uh, was uh, the album making. We released, I I have an album uh, called uh, Show Me Love, and we did it uh, the whole year of, uh, early of 2019, and we released it November. So, we're like in a mission of, you know, playing a bunch of gigs um, for the, um, uh, we, we have a bunch of gigs in and out San Diego and this all happened we i i was actually i was actually in las vegas for, for a show when they declare that you know march 16 is gonna be close wow. and we're yeah we're at we're at las vegas march 12 to 14 uh march 12 to 15 march 13 to yeah, 15. We came back 15, and then the following day, it's all closed. <laughs> wow. Did you get to play any of those shows in Vegas? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah, they still, um, they still continue it. And with a, like, one seat apart, like, social distancing show. Wow. So, I love that song, and I, it touches on so many different things. What was your, what's your, do you have a favorite line? of that song oh uh, yeah i have a actually i love i i just j love it general because it's like two of my face but like with music you know um i really love the 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 intro verse that's one of my favorite like you know uh it was it was like literally just me saying and talking to the universe like <laughs> this thing is kind of crap but like i just want to say my my feelings towards it and i came up with that badass verse which is you know just just a normal conversation to myself <laughs> yeah in the universe so 
Yeah. So we had the pleasure of having you join us in Joshua Tree and you and Barry had a little jam session. So what's like, what's your, if you could pick any kind of environment in which to play music, whether that's around a campfire or in front of like thousands of people, like, do you have a, a preference for where you would play your first show back once we can start doing stuff again? Yeah, like what I've told you guys when we're at Joshua Tree. <laughs> like, dude, that was amazing place to play music with day or night. It, you know, like, it's kind of like, that's like unlimited open place where people can can be with us. And at night, or like, you know, with, with the Joshua Trees, and at night, the stars and the moons and the, the stars and the moon like it's gonna be the natural light for everyone you know what i'm saying yeah like I, I you know i i haven't i haven't toured around the u.s yet with with you know like i i i am excited to do that but like i haven't seen that much places that i really wanna like i really wanna say that i can i, I really want to play in there right like that makes sense <laughs> why are you so pretty right there why are you <laughs> like, so pretty stop it you make me laugh and smile <laughs> you're so kind <laughs> so if you if you had a magic wand like there's a lot of stuff going on in the world and in your in the song you just played you're talking about um Black Lives Matter, talking about the pandemic. Um, what, if you had a magic wand and anything that's on your heart or mind that is just like you want it to end or you want people to have understanding about something, what would that be for you? All right. Can I, can I do three? Of course, yes. Okay, <laughs> if, I have a, uh, if I have a magic wand, I literally wanted to have like, infinite happiness for everyone infinite happiness like i think everyone deserves that everyone deserves to be happy you know in some way um yeah i think you know that's kind of that's number one and number two of course like love and respect in this is just one love and respect always I, that's my line love and respect to everyone love and respect to each other love and respect for yourself you know it starts to yourself because if you can't love and respect yourself you can't love and respect other people around you and i think number three ah oh, gosh I have like 10, I think, in my mind, but like... That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. The love and respect, infinite happiness. Give me one more. Good vibes only. I think in general, like, <laughs> I think that will sum up every everything. Like, you know, I mean, the world needs to have a negative and a positive to be balanced. But like, of course, where, we, where you want to go, <laughs> right? right? In the positive side. So like, kind of, yeah, life is good. Life is easy. And life is, you know, life is, uh, uh, 
like life is such a wonderful gift that we need to like um celebrate every day with positivity and you know of course i know negativity is still gonna be there but and not everyone is like me like laughing with problems and <laughs> you know it's not allowing any negativity go around my nerves so it's kind of a yeah i mean <laughs> just good vibes only muffin yeah. but good vibes yeah <laughs> i love well, you craig <laughs> well i think i think that's an important part of the conversation too though is like when because there are people that say good vibes only and they don't acknowledge that there are tough times and hard things that happen and that's like the toxic positivity side but in yeah. dada's world everybody would be uh, allowed to express and feel good vibes because we would have infinite happiness and love and respect and that's what gives us more good vibes yeah yeah but then yeah i just really want to emphasize this that i'm only human that what i this is what i learn about you guys when meeting you guys uh meeting cassie like what i was listening the whole time and like gosh gosh i was like i can't i can't just unmute me and like god i'm wrong like i'm doing that and it's wrong cassie you're right you know like now i can i can tell i, I can yeah because uh, cassie is really really good about what she said and now i can uh i can ham uh, i can humbly and like seriously tell that i'm not okay sometimes you know i know but then i don't i i, I don't stay in there and be uh be be sad and depressed but then you know just just the thought that it gosh i'm lost for words about this thing because some it's really hard for me to admit that sometimes it's okay not to be okay yeah but then like like meeting you, Barry, hacking my feelings and this people that is like hurt and like, you know, trying to move on and like having therapy and, you know, I was, I was, I am a student. <laughs> like, I feel like I was, I'm learning because I thought like, oh, always okay. But in reality, like when I was, when I'm just by myself. I'm talking to myself. I'm like, are you really happy? Because you have this. But like, you know, I give them, I give them like uh, attention. Like, shoot, like this happened to me. I don't deserve this, you know? But then at the end of the day, I'm still gonna laugh at it. But then if like, there's a, there's a, there's a problem that I ignore. Like, oh, I, okay, like, I'm just gonna move on. But like, if I don't allow myself to feel the pain, then it's gonna like you know it's gonna knock on my door over and over and trying to get in and trying to ruin my sh my, my my feelings and try to ruin my vibe so you know i learn a lot of things with you guys which is super like it really amazed me when i think about november october you know october november that that month is kind of i am literally dying in pain you know but nobody knows and i always say i'm okay i'm okay but 
and giving advices to people and caring for people which you know like gosh who's gonna take care of me if i'm giving a lot so i learned how to limit and this word that mr barry williams told me literally hit and stuck in my head don't be over nice and super kind to people because some of them will just this like uh take advantage of you and because you're nice yeah they, they, they will take advantage because you're nice and ending up if you fail to give them what they want they're not gonna love you they're gonna like you know forget about hundred million things you did for them and a hundred good things you did but because you say no to one of what they ask and then that will that will cover everything so yeah i'm so like for the record here you guys who's who's watching us i am a student <laughs> like i feel like i don't know why am i talking here like i don't know what to share but like literally i'm just you know i don't have any like um like knowledge of like what am i gonna talk to with sydney and i'm like what if she gonna ask me this gosh and now i'm just literally being me saying what that's i it. feel and it's really really cool yeah and that that's all we ever want and i and i appreciate you you opening up in that way because i think it's hard right like especially and i and i i have never assumed that any of your sunshine bright and shiny make me laugh energy is forced or fake i that is who you are and that is okay like it is so necessary in this world the world needs more people like you who can move through it in that way while also acknowledging that yeah like right now i'm not okay but i'm gonna keep a smile on my face because that's how i get to be okay like i think the way that you process things is beautiful dada Oh man, yeah, and really, music really heals me because instead of like, if if this pe if the if this person did something wrong with me, instead of me fighting like you know back in the days when I was young, like oh all right, let's fist fight, like you know, like let's and, and I don't I don't fight with girls, like you know I don't do mouth fight, <laughs> I I do fist fight, you right. know, but then I realized like instead of me saying bad words to this person. I'll just use my music to like, you know, ease the pain at least, you know, and create a content, yeah, <laughs> music, you know, yeah. so it's kind of, <laughs> I, I am super grateful for music. <laughs> do you, do really you have, helps a, me a lot. do you have another song you'd like to share with us? Yeah. All I right. Bunch for you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's, yeah. let's do another one. And then, um, after, after you're done, we'll talk about how people can find and share your music and then we'll do our group gratitude circle. So if you're in the zoom, once she's done and I call you down, turn on your cameras and we're going to do our group <laughs> gratitude circle. So thank you Dada for being here. I love you guys. Any time for you. Last year, 
Get the tip jar. <laughs> are you are you on are you on Venmo? Do you have a digital tip jar that we can tell people about? Oh yeah, I have a Venmo at Tomboys Avenue. Tomboys Avenue. We'll put it in the show notes. If you if you like what you hear, support your local <laughs> half artist, half musician, <laughs> or half, half <laughs> medical professional. I dig it. Um, does anybody have any questions for Dada? Well. Uh, Tell us a little bit about where we can find you, where we can find your music, how we can support you. Yeah, if um, I have, a, if you guys have a Spotify, would highly appreciate if you guys stream on it. Um, Tomboys Avenue, just simply type Tomboys Avenue. My name is right there, here. <laughs> <laughs> I think am I am I pointing it other right? Other side. Oh, the other side, like yeah, this one. Yeah, right there. <laughs> yeah, there. There you go. <laughs> uh, right, like like this here, yep, like that. here, here, like here. Yeah, there you go. Tomboys Avenue. Yeah, and uh, you guys can follow me in my Instagram account uh, at Tomboys Avenue underscore. Ah, uh, Tomboys Avenue underscore music. <laughs> Tomboys underscore Avenue underscore music. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Simply in general, just search Tomboys Avenue, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, yeah, it's all um, iTunes and um, Apple Music. Would highly appreciate everyone. Check out the, I have a full uh, reggae album in there called Show Me Love and a bunch of singles that you can listen to if you want. Uh, if you want to support, um, support and listen to a new music. Would Fantastic. highly appreciate you guys. Yes. And so we, so we added the songs that you played tonight to our virtual campfire playlist so people can find it there too. Are there any other songs? Are there any other songs that like one or two where you're like, if you've never heard me sing before, these are the songs I want you to listen to first. And we'll add those as well. Oh yeah. Um, I have this song, um, that I collaborated with Kat Hall and Kaya Hall recently released last January, which is um, I Can't Breathe. I Can't Breathe. We'll add that. And shout out to Mr. Ian Young, who uh, um, produced this song. And I, I love to share this because I want you to guys cover the lyrics, the verses of each artist that I work with in there and how Mr. Ian Young turned this song into a different level. So, yeah, would highly appreciate you guys. And that's the third song in the EP. Oh, cool. And I'm excited. Yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, I'm super excited about the re- the you know upcoming release. I don't have a uh, like ex- uh, like a date yet, but like after maybe the fourth song, and then we'll start it to um, promote more about the EP. Nice, yay! All right, well let's do our group gratitude circle for everybody that is um, here on Zoom. Go ahead and turn on your cameras, and we will close it out with a group gratitude circle.
Thank you for joining us around the virtual campfire. Sometimes we talk about heavy topics, sometimes we tell poop stories, but regardless of what we've discussed, we always like to end the show on a high note. At the end of our live broadcasts, we invite our community to share what they're grateful for in a segment called the Group Gratitude Circle. Every week, I'm thankful for you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy life to connect with us and witness these stories of hope, healing, and inspiration in the outdoors. If you'd like to gather with us around the campfire live each week, join the Hiking My Feelings virtual campfire VIPs. If this were a legit talk show, you'd be sitting in our studio audience. We haven't been picked up by a major network yet, so for now, we gather on Zoom. Here, you can connect with the community before and after the broadcast, hang out for sound check when we have musical guests, participate in the Q&A, join in on the group gratitude circle, and be eligible to receive prizes and gifts from our sponsors, partners, and guests. Learn more and join us at hikingmyfeelings.org campfire. Don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, and anyone else who could use a dose of community and connection. Follow us on Instagram, we're at hikingmyfeelings, and you can tag your journey with hashtag hikingmyfeelings. And if you're picking up what we're putting down and you want to be part of this movement, join the Hiking My Feelings family at family.hikingmyfeelings.org. In case nobody told you lately, you are a brilliant human who is destined to do epic things in this world. Join us next week for more stories of hope, healing, and inspiration in the outdoors. Until then, happy trails!